they always joke with me still because I always I always talk about this um, this combination you can do at McDonald's where you combine like three different burgers or something like that, and uh, and I, I told it to them as a joke like oh yeah this, that's what I eat in in the U S and they they totally took me seriously because they're you know they they don't understand the the sarcasm sometimes so they they thought oh my God Seb's eating three McDonald's cheeseburgers when he's home in the U.S. How, you know, that's, that's not sustainable. And then, so now that's always their joke with me. Like, oh, you're going to go home and eat uh, <laughs> 10 cheeseburgers. So, yeah. It's showtime, everybody. Showtime. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around yeah. once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we talking about practice. They peed on the dude's rug. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see, you think this has nothing to do with you. Don't ever trash talk black Jesus. This is the Adventure Stash with Pace and McCalvin. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by SRAM. And this week, I wanted to shout out their nonprofit, World Bicycle Relief. There's a whole slew of things to donate to on any given day. If you scroll through your Instagram feed, Facebook page, whatever, we're just getting inundated with opportunities to give. Um, It can be really easy to get desensitized to that, I think, and just keep scrolling on through. But I would really like to encourage y'all to go check out World Bicycle Relief. This is a program that helps mobilize people that could use the help most. Folks in rural areas, folks that are trying to get to school, folks that are trying to get to market. And basically, World Bicycle Relief puts really, really sturdy, reliable bikes in these people's hands. So they can ride to market with their goods so that uh, a young boy or young girl can get to, you know, elementary school reliably. Literally, this is a program that changes lives. I truly, truly believe that. I've done several campaign efforts in the past to raise money for it. And I, I would really encourage you all to go check out World Bicycle Relief and see if it's something that you'd be interested in supporting. SRAM, thank you all so much for putting that program together. Uh, It truly is an amazing contribution that you're making. This week on the show, we have Sepp Kuss. A little bit different, well, a lot bit different environment this week. Um, Episode six, way back when, was with Sepp, Howard Grotz, and Chris Blevins. And we hung out in my uh, living room, drank a lot of beverages, and had to cut the entire last half of the show because it got so loose. This was kind of the polar opposite. This is a live show, our second ever. The first was at the Leadville 100. um, And we recorded this live show at the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic Registration Party um, in downtown Durango at Mountain Bike Specialists Bike Shop. Mountain Bike Specialists, a.k.a. MBS, is the first bike shop that I started going to in Durango and uh, the one that I still go to to this day. There was a time when Sepp and I were actually teammates riding for that bike shop way back in the day, believe it or not. Then uh, obviously Sepp went on to grand road things, literally winning a grand tour stage of the Vuelta this year. Um, and so this was, this was fun. Pretty lively live audience. 
I had a few ringers planted in the crowd that I call out during the Q&A portion. Uh, Ned Overin, Todd Wells, a handful of others. So a little bit different style show. Hope y'all enjoy it. And uh, I'll catch you after the episode for a few more notes. Thank you all for listening. Let's go ahead and get started. So, you and I have spent a great deal of time in this bike shop together. Just in general, we've spent a lot of time together. But we rode for the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory Devo Suite Elite Team for a couple of years. Uh, those were some wonderful years, many great memories. Uh, did you ever think back then, when we were, I don't know, 20, 21 years old, that in a matter of five, six years, or less than that, you'd be a Grand Tour stage winner? Was that even in your mind at all to race on the road? Uh, I think never, honestly. It was never in the picture for me. Um, but I, I still do remember, yeah, going down to, to John's office uh, here in the shop and him showing us the boxes and boxes of cycling gear that we had for that season. I thought, oh man, like, uh, you feel like a real, real professional. <laughs> so I, I think that was the first introduction to just that, uh, that feeling you have when there's a lot of uh, people behind you and, and, and sponsors and things like that. So it was a big, big privilege. And, but yeah, at the time that was, that was the pinnacle for me, just being on the chocolate factory team. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's one thing that struck me continuously is that you, you're open-minded in regards to where your career might go, but you, you don't have any sort of like outcome-based expectations. You're just always trying to do the best that you can. So I think it would be fun for everyone here to have you walk us through how you ended up riding for Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory and how you're now doing what you're doing today. What happened between? <laughs> yeah, um, I guess it seems like a long time ago, but it really wasn't. Um, we, let's see, we started out with just with Chad and uh, a small group, you know, just riding for fun a couple days a week, and Chad would show us around, and I think that was the early form of the, the Devo program, and then eventually started racing a bit more, and, and then that turned into kind of the the talent pool from Durango that they drew from for that, that Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory team uh, with MBS. And then, let's see, year after that, oh, I'm, I'm losing track of the years already. I think it was, was it, you went to uh, Harley Davidson at one point to, yep. to race on the, well, you, oh, yeah. you BMC. So, yeah, so shortly after, um, you know, the, the mountain bike team years in Durango, I went to, went to school in Boulder and as some of you know, Boulder's more of a, a road biking scene, and, and Durango's almost on the opposite, more diehard mountain bike scene. So that was, that was totally new to me, to go to a place where people mostly rode road bikes, and there was a road bike racing scene and things like that. And uh, yeah, just uh, caught my interest. Um, had a lot of friends that, that were uh, road biking, and they kind of, yeah, helped me get my foot in the door and, yeah, rode for an amateur team through friends from Boulder and then had enough results to get on Rally, which is a, now it's a pro-continental team in the U.S. And, yeah, every year just kind of progressed and here I am now. <laughs> yeah, two, two years into the world tour and, and winning some decent-sized races. So one more fun look back at old school, Sep. I remember there was a race when we were on... Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory together, called Rumble at 18 Road in Fruta. 
and yeah. we were in the Devo van together, pulled up with Chad and our other teammates, and we were camping at the race venue, pitched our tents, you and I were tenting together, and this crazy windstorm kicked up and just put this massive bank of silt in the, in the tent because we were 19 <laughs> or 20 years old and very irresponsible when it came to housekeeping. Left the door open. Then a crazy rainstorm rolled in, and that silt bank turned into an absolute oh, mud yeah. bank. <laughs> and we're like, well, this is not a particularly hospitable environment for the night before a race. What do we do? So we slept in the Devo van that night, sitting upright oh, yeah. in... With in, all the bread cookies in there. With all the bread cookies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we've, we've lived on about 10 bread cookies a day, slept upright in this van. The next morning, you know, just kind of laughed it off and both ended up on the podium at that race. And so I'm wondering how frequently you have to... Because your job now is a lot more blue-collar than probably even everyone recognizes, not just during the race, but you're traveling so much, always a different hotel, not always the best hotels. I think you and I picked up a lot of skills, and everyone that's graduated from Devo picked up a lot of skills in regards to not worrying about the little stuff as much and keeping your eye on the big picture. So how are you applying that now in your job today, and do you have any crazy stories of accommodations gone wrong or times you've had to just kind of let, let things roll off your back? Uh, let's see. I think, yeah, com comparing uh, the Devo days when we were camped in a dirt parking lot is definitely different than now. I mean, now every race there's someone that comes in, brings in our, our own mattresses, own pillows. Uh, they, they disinfect the, the AC machine, everything like that, which, which for me, it, do, it doesn't matter. I, I could sleep on any, any mattress. I could sleep in a dirt parking lot. So <laughs> that, that set me up well. But uh, yeah, there, there's some hotels, I guess, that are a bit more uh, colorful. But uh, <laughs> honestly, if I, I wish you know, there would be a few races where you had to camp because I think uh, <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be a lot of people that are out of their, out of their comfort zone. Yeah, you'd kill everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so what, what was it? Is it well, crazy? No, I mean, basically, you said that those skills aren't relevant anymore, which is great. That's, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's I, good I think, to hear. <laughs> you know, that, yeah, and, and there, there's just, just in general, there's so many variables that go on, you know, oh, I didn't get uh, nine hours of sleep, oh, this and that, and, you know, if you... Uh, if you're just confident in what you're doing, and 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 then yeah, for me, I always just think back to when you're roughing it in a dirt parking lot before a 6 a.m. start or something, and you know if you if you can get through that, then you can get through easy. Anything. Yeah, <laughs> grand tours are nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so since those dirt parking lot camping days, um, your profile has grown significantly. Fame and and success, whether financial or, or otherwise, changes almost everybody, I think. It's almost inevitable. But one thing I've been struck by is when you come home every winter, you are exactly the same sup <laughs> as you were when we were on Chocolate Factory together. And I'm curious how you're learning to navigate that world of notoriety and, and recognition um, and how you're managing to stay so humble throughout it all. Um, and, and really just stay the exact same fun dude. Yeah, I think in, as, a, as a profession, you know, it's, uh, it's just something that I genuinely enjoy doing. So it's, it's never something where I, uh, you know, feel like I need to put on a persona to, to get uh, something out of it or I never, 
um, have any expectations or anything for myself just because I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing and um, I'm happy always improving day to day and, and if the result on the, the page isn't, you know, spectacular, that, that doesn't matter to me just because it's uh, a life process and um, something that's uh, fun to do every day. So I think that helps keep me grounded, um, you know, just, just knowing that it's, it's for me, it's not for uh, my, I mean, it is for the people that I work for, but, you know, it's uh, it, enjoyment-wise, it's for me. But that, that's also the cool thing about Durango, because it's, yeah, a lot of people are, are excited about it, but it's also really special to be able to, to share that with people and get people excited about, about road biking, get people excited about all these crazy places in Europe that they, they might want to explore. So, um, yeah, things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that said, I think you're going to have your work cut out for you a, a little more because all of a sudden there's a lot of expectation after you've won one of the biggest races in the world. Uh, how are you navigating that world of, of external expectation? Because, you know, the, the people that are paying you to do your job, there are certain intrinsic expectations there. But in my experience, the real <laughs> heavy expectations come from all of the folks following and supporting, and whether they realize it or not, during a race weekend when 50 people come up to you saying, oh, are you going to try to win today? It, you know, that starts to weigh pretty heavy sometimes. Um, how are you adjusting to that? Yeah, I think that's, that's tricky too because, yeah, there, you have your own expectation, you have the expectation of, of the team, things like that. Um, and so I, I think the, what weighs the most on a lot of people is just their own personal expectation, what they, what they foresee for themselves or... Um, you know, if, if they have some, some sort of end goal expectation that they're, they're looking for. So that, that can be troublesome sometimes. But I think from the, the team standpoint, you know, they're very understanding with me. They know I've kind of come into the, the road cycling scene a bit late and still really have a lot to learn. You know, it's a steep, steep learning curve. So um, they're, they're honestly really, really understanding. I mean, they're very, very Dutch, very direct. <laughs> uh, they, they say exactly what they mean. So if they said you did a bad job, you, you did a bad job. If, if they said you did a good job, then you did a good job. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's a bit easier in that way because you know, you know what's expected of you and there's, there's nothing that's, uh, you know, you're, you're not expected to do anything extraordinary. But at the same time, for me, I always want, want something more. I think like any competitive person. So um, I think the biggest struggle is, is managing that and not, not doing too much. Because you know, if, you, if you have success, you're, and then the next year you think, oh, I want to do even better, then sometimes that can come back and bite you because you do too much and you want too much so you just kind of have to stay true to what what worked in the past and you know keep doing what makes you happy and not worry about other people's expectations things like that yeah yeah it's impressive that you're you're able to do that i was listening to a different podcast a month or two ago i won't say who it was but uh they're one of the more notable cycling related uh outlets out there and there are a couple of journalists who were talking about you and saying, wow, this, this Sepp Kuss, he made it through 
the entire Vuelta, super strong, won a stage, and they were just sort of playing off of each other and getting each other more and more riled up until by the end they were saying, you know, he could be winning the Giro in the next few days. <laughs> and so I'm curious what sort of future you do see for yourself. I mean, obviously you're not focusing on specifics, which sounds like a key for you, but do you foresee your career continuing to be that of a super domestique and stage hunter, or would you like the opportunity to ride for GC at some point in the next handful of years? I think for now it's it's nice for me just to be a, a helper because if I if I look at myself and I look at um, at least mentality wise what it takes to be a, a real GC rider I at least right now I can say I don't have <laughs> that mentality it it takes so much not only physical energy just to be on top of it every day but you have to be so mentally focused you have to be so level every single day and you know and that that's for me that's where the the pressure is in the the team or the sport is if you're if you're riding for a week or or three weeks and and the whole team is riding for you that's that's a big pressure because you know you're not necessarily worried about letting the the sponsors down or something you're, you're worried about letting your your teammates down that are riding in the wind for you every day so that's you know at this point, I don't have the mentality for that, so I, I get a lot of um, motivation just out of out of helping the the leaders we have on the team, which are also really really good world class riders. So, if if I can help them, that's um, pretty exciting. But it's it's hard to say. You know, four years down the line, I think I would want some opportunities for myself because you always need, at least for me, I, I always need something different, something you know, a bit bit out of my comfort zone to keep the motivation flowing, keep things fresh. Yeah. So speaking of your very Dutch team and the, the traditions of European road cycling, the mentality that you come from is one of much more wholesomeness, maybe a little bit more relaxed approach in regards to, uh, to diet and all that sort of thing. Um, you, you like to eat a lot yeah. from what I can remember. <laughs> Your Strava photo right now is still like 19-year-old you <laughs> yeah. just demolishing a hamburger from In-N-Out yep. when we stopped at the Whiskey Off-Road a while ago. And I remember you ordered twice what everybody else did, <laughs> and you were the smallest on the team. I'm like, Seb, how are you going to do this? You just killed it all. No problem. So I'm curious how you're balancing the, the sort of austere, <laughs> traditional European expectations of cleansing the AC unit every time you go into a hotel room versus, you know, your, your more relaxed approach of, of yesteryear? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a balance, you know. You, that's, I think, one of the biggest things I realized when I, when I started um, riding professionally with this team in uh, 2018 is that you, the, the margins are so, so small and things like, uh, diet or recovery or uh, sleep, things like that, that I would never really think about much in the past. They they all matter, you know. So it's ev everybody's already at such a high level that that those little one percent things make quite a big difference. So for me, that was a big shock because I was eating, yeah, not 
terribly unhealthy. I was just eating a lot because it makes you feel good when you eat a lot of food. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think I think that when I started with the team, they were a bit shocked, like, "Oh my God, this this guy, he's supposed to be a climber. Uh, he eats as much as a, a sprinter, and uh, <laughs> we need we need him to lose weight." Uh, <laughs> so. You know, it, it took some time, and, um, you know, it does make a difference. But with that said, it's you have to do it in a, in a healthy way for your, your mind and your body and things like that. But I think they, they always joke with me still because I always, I always talk about this, um, this combination you can do at McDonald's where you combine, like, three different burgers or something like that. And, uh, and I, I told it to them as a joke, like, oh, yeah, this, that's what I eat in, in the U.S. And they, they totally took me seriously because they're <laughs> – you know, they, they don't understand the, the sarcasm sometimes, so they, they thought, oh, my God, Sepp's eating three McDonald's cheeseburgers when he's home in the U.S. How, you know, that's, that's not sustainable. And then, so now that's always their joke with me, like, oh, you're going to go home and eat uh, <laughs> ten cheeseburgers. So. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, one more question about the World Tour world before we turn it over to, the, to some questions from the crowd. Um, can you kind of lift the curtain on what the hours looked like right after you won that Vuelta stage? Um, like, what was, the, what was the series of events? How much of a melee was it? What was it like to stand on that podium? Uh, what was it like back in the hotel room uh, when it was just, just the team together again once you'd escaped all of the, the cameras? Yeah, it, was, uh, it all is pretty, pretty swift. I think right, right when you cross the finish line, the, the swan year is there. You have a drink of some uh, cherry juice or whatever, and then, uh, and then you're immediately the uh, anti-doping officer is like an escort. He has to stay with you, so they they shepherd you to the uh, either the doping control or the the podium ceremony, and then you kind of sit in this this weird trailer they have at the at the finish, and somebody scrubs you down, uh, wipe the sweat out of your eyes, and then. Yeah, stand on the podium. That was pretty exciting. Uh, and there was, I forget his name, actually. I should remember his name. But the, the guy that was presenting the award was also a really famous cyclist um, from Spain. So that was, yeah, pretty cool to be amongst uh, those people. Um, and then afterwards, it's a long ride back down the mountain because by the time you're leaving, which is quite a bit after everyone else has just ridden down the mountain, it's uh, just a sea of, of spectators that had been watching the stage, but they're all walking in the road or riding in the road. So you, and then you're in a giant van going two miles an hour down this, uh, you know, 15K hill. So that takes about three hours. Then you get to the hotel, nine. Jeez. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think for me that was... That was the most my phone's ever been, you know, <laughs> blowing up. So that, that was a bit overwhelming. I intentionally didn't text you <laughs> that night because I knew that would be the case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just kind of had to turn the phone off for a while. Um, and then, yeah, with the, with the team, it's, it's normal. I think with, with Primo's on the team, they were just used to winning all the time. So it wasn't anything, uh, <laughs> you know, nothing crazy. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was also pretty cool because, yeah, a lot of guys were excited, and then, um, yeah, I remember that night, I just really didn't sleep much at all, just because you're, you have so much adrenaline, and, you know, you're, you just, yeah, it's just an incredible experience, so it's hard to just put your mind at rest, um, 
but then I was also a bit stressed out because the next stage was also really, really tough, and I didn't want to be totally useless the next day. So I was, I was a bit worried that I'd used too much energy that day and then, you know, didn't sleep, things like that, but ended up working out, so. All right, before we open it up to questions, I want to talk about the Iron Horse briefly. Um, I touched base with Sepp's mom, Sabina, a few minutes ago. So, Sepp, you won the Iron Horse in 2017. And I knew that Sabina had won the Iron Horse, and I asked her, Sabina, how many times have you won the Iron Horse? And she paused, and she said, I don't know. And that's code for a lot. So, <laughs> um, Sepp, how, how major has the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic been to your family and uh, how much did it mean to win that race in 2017 since your family has such a legacy with the event? Yeah, I think the Iron Horse, it's, a, it's just a huge part about being a, just an active person in Durango. I think, you know, there, there's so many people in Durango that have the Iron Horse as their, you know, that, that kind of checkpoint in the year. Uh, like, okay, it's, it's Iron Horse season. It's time to, it's time to get in shape, uh, time to race the train, time to beat my time from last year or something. And then, you know, as growing up in Durango, that was the same for me. It was always, okay, the Iron Horse is coming. This is the biggest, this is the biggest race ever. You know, you gotta, <laughs> it, and it is a big race. It, you, you gotta, you gotta get over those, those mountain passes. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's just a super identifiable event in Durango and, and uh, so many people, participate in it and and yeah my, my mom she's she's always training for it and uh she she goes out in weather conditions that i would never uh, yeah <laughs> she, she's doing repeats on coal bank and i've uh you know she makes me feel bad about myself sometimes because she's always <laughs> out there uh yeah pushing it's, it <laughs> it's so true i i texted you at one point this summer saying so i've ridden uh, Colbank five times this year, and I've seen your mom on Colbank four of those five times. Crazy. Yeah, inspirational. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so speaking of the Iron Horse, believe it or not, we have the first ever winner of the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic in attendance tonight, and he has a question for you, Sep. Mike Elliott. Thank you. <laughs> really, my claim to fame is that Sep's father, Dolph Goose, was the best man at my wedding. And, uh, you know, you obviously, Seb, inherited some great genes from your mother and from your dad. So one of the things we've heard about the Volta and uh, Rodlick, about, you know, supporting him. But, you know, the commentator, even though he was in Connecticut broadcasting, Bob Roll, every time he mentioned your name, he mentioned from Durango, Colorado. I had friends who were watching uh, from Vermont call me, wanted to know if the Durango Chamber of Commerce was one of your sponsors. <laughs> and if they're yeah, not, they probably should be. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, though, seriously, I'd like to know what is the second best place you'd like to live other than Durango? Ooh, that's a good question. Second place, second best place to live. Um, you know, I, it would probably have to be somewhere in Europe just because that's kind of my more or less home, home base for most of the year. Uh, I think there's, there's so many cool places in Spain. Um, the weather's really good. Uh, you know, somewhere in the mountains, in the Pyrenees, 
Um, yeah, something quiet would be nice. What's well, nice here in Durango, too. Um, <laughs> seriously, though, now at the Tour of Utah in August 2018, um, you won three, you won overall of the Tour of Utah. You also had a huge, one of the, your strengths is that you know when to make the move. You, as I said, won three stages. They were all mountain stages. All of Durango was watching at that time. And the other thing that is you knew when to make the move. You know, you did that in the 2017 narrow gauge because going up Cobank, you were third going up Cobank. Gained about two minutes on the leader from Albuquerque. You gained seven or eight minutes by the time you hit the top of Molas. Oh, yeah. So tell us, without uh, letting your competitors, or some of them are here in the room, how do you make that move and know when you're going? Because obviously in the Tour of Utah and also in the Volta, you knew when to go. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things you have to consider. I think it's, you know, on, sometimes from the outside it looks very just, uh, you know, just a situation of if you have raw power, you just go. But it's also very um, analytical almost. You have to know, on the, on the competitor's side, you have to know when people are tired, uh, you know, if, if they've made a big effort, and then you have to, you know, uh, take advantage of that. And then also the, you know, the terrain of the climb itself, you have to go when, not when it's at its hardest point, you have to go when it's a, you know, a transition or something in the, in the mountain or, um, or if there's a, a hesitation from, from the, the peloton or something like that, you, that's, that's when the moment to go is you don't go when it's uh, when it's too hard or when it's too easy. It's uh, yeah, you have to feel it. <laughs> Good. Well, you know that your community is proud of you. Thank you, Sep. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <clears throat> so although she couldn't attend because she lives in Alaska these days. Uh, yesterday, I chatted with Mary Lee Atkins, who's the first ever female winner of the Iron Horse. And uh, I asked if she had a question for you, Sep, and she said, well, I know Sep's parents, but I don't really know anything about Sep. <laughs> so no question from her, but a couple of uh, things she shared is that that first year, the Iron Horse, uh, for the ladies at least, just went to Hermosa. So she won that race. And then uh, she said the following year is when a bunch of cyclists started showing up, and the race went to Tamaron that year, and she managed to win it again. The race still means a lot to her, and so she's actually going to be coming back to Durango uh, in 2021 for the 50th anniversary race, which I think is really cool. That's something we can all look forward to. Okay. Uh, I believe there's someone in the crowd named Ned Overend, by chance, hopefully. Yeah. I think Ned's got a question for you, Seb. Sepp, how's it going? Thanks Good, for uh, coming out here, Payson and Sepp, and sharing uh, some of your experiences with us. So, Sepp, what I'm wondering, there's, uh, there's a lot of great athletes that, you know, they're great climbers, cycling athletes, great climbers. They, they produce a ton of power. They're fast. But they don't make the jump to the world tour level. You know, they, they can't... Uh, compete at that level 
for the distances, the day after day, the week-long stage races, the length, the speed. And it, it's almost like it's, it's a metabolic efficiency, right? I mean, your bodies have to adapt to that, and not everybody's can, right? I mean, they gotta, they gotta be dedicated enough to commit to trying. But maybe you could talk a little bit about how your experience has been about how you adapted to that that world tour stress, physical stress? Yeah, I think um, initially a lot of it was just uh, persistence, you know, because I, I came into it already, you know, doubting a bit, like, oh, am I, am I cut out for this? Do I have the, you know, the, the physical traits or the mental, uh, you know, fortitude to be able to do this? And, and yeah, the first, first races I did, I was like, oh, my God, this is... Uh, this is really hard. It's, you know, just relentless. And, and there, there's so many things in the, you know, European roads and uh, races that you, you never encounter in the U.S. So for me, I, I, I really struggled a lot in the beginning. But I think what I got from it is that I, I just did my best every single race. Some races I wouldn't finish. And that was, that was my best. But I, I just gave everything to... Uh, you know, help the team and, and just get through those races. So that, I think that's the biggest thing is that you, you just need to know how to, how to suffer because eventually you, you have a, a breakthrough and, and, uh, and, and things work out. But I think there's, yeah, a lot of people that, that maybe come in with, oh, I'm, I'm this and this, uh, you know, I'm going to start winning right away. They don't have that, that humility maybe. And then, and then once they, they have that uh, real harsh growing period, then, you know, if things don't work out, then, then it's a, a battle within themselves. But for me, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm suffering and it's terrible, but I'm also enjoying it because this is an incredible opportunity. So I think for me, it was just a matter of, of making the most of situations and, and trusting that I would get better simply by just getting through it. Is Todd Wells still? Yeah, I see Todd there. Todd's got a question for you as well. <laughs> All right. So, Sepp, you started as a mountain biker, and you probably didn't ride on the road very much when you were a mountain biker here in town, a little bit. But so the first part of my question is, you know, what do you miss most about mountain biking? And then second what, what is it you found that you really enjoy on the road that maybe you didn't think you would or that you, something that's different from mountain biking that you really like about the road? And then the most important question is, which race has the best party after? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what I miss most about mountain biking, I think, is the, just the community. You know, everybody's, uh, yeah, really down to earth. Everybody helps each other. Uh, you know, everybody's there to race, and it's it's really competitive, but it's also just a really, really nice scene. And you know, everybody seems to genuinely be, uh, you know, more of a of a group, whether that's across teams or people from different countries, things like that. So, I think that's pretty nice. Um, I mean, as well as riding, simply riding a mountain bike, of course, is really fun. I miss that. Try to do it as much as I can. Um, the second question was about. 
what do you, what surprises you in regards to what you're liking on the road? Oh more than yeah, expected? yeah. Um, I think I think there's so much on a road bike that is is uh, quantifiable. You know, I'm I'm not really a, a numbers per, like a math person per se, but I think there's there's just so much uh, you know physiology. You have all the the power data, everything like that, and 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 it all goes together on the road bike where there's there's so much going on and there's so much to learn on the the tactics side the you know nutrition training so I, I think that's super interesting just because you can you can really especially now you can really track so many uh, metrics and things like that so I think it's uh, yeah it's it's really interesting to look at um, best party best after party they they really don't. It's not like the mountain bike. It's it's a shame they they really don't have, you know. It's it's so cut and dried. You 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 finish the race and no matter how well everything went, it's like, it's like another day. You just you just go and you get on the and then it's over. Um, Come on, even the no, Volta. No, well that's the thing. Well, Volta, we had a good one. Um, we went to this crazy steak restaurant, um, and. Yeah, that was nice. There, there were a lot of like team sponsors there, so you couldn't really, you know, you had to put on your uh, good behavior and everything. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then afterwards, you go to this, yeah, big, big club in Spain. But you don't, it doesn't even open until like two in the morning or something like that. So that's that's the Spain uh, party scene. So you really have to um, have some endurance for that. <laughs> good thing y'all are Especially, such endurance athletes. Yeah, <laughs> I think some people. Well, actually, no. A lot of teams were going out. I think two two nights before the last stage, because the last stage is kind of a a write off, more or less. But we still had to get the job done in the last day. Um, but yeah, just typical. Uh, that's the thing. Bike race parties. It's it's a lot of guys, uh, <laughs> but a lot of people that haven't had a beer in maybe a year. So that's <laughs> pretty uh, <laughs> pretty entertaining. It's cheaper that way. I get yeah, that buzz nice and quick. Uh, but yeah, it's, but like I said, there, there's a lot of races where no matter if you won the whole thing, it's, everybody has a plane to catch the, you know, a few hours after the last stage and you say your goodbyes and on to the next one. So yeah, not like the mountain bike. All right. So we have a roving mic here. If anyone has any questions for Sep, uh, we'll, we'll do a few minutes of Q and A here before wrapping it all up. So y'all can grab more food and beverages and registrations. Chili. Anybody have a question for Seth? Mary. <laughs> Just to have a woman's voice. Um, your mother is super athletic and has inspired a lot of women in our town. And I was just wondering, as all the changes take place now on the road with more women racing on the road and in mountain biking, how is that changing the dynamic of your team or what are you noticing as more women are giving opportunities to race? Yeah, I think um, on our team, it's, it's a very male-dominated staff, which I think is unfortunate because we, when we have a female like Swanier or something, it's, it's just nice to have... Uh, yeah, a woman's uh, touch, you know. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, to be honest, our, our team, it's, it's very European, and, and that's something they could improve on, just more, uh, you know, equal opportunity employment. Um, and then I think, yeah, it's also in uh, 
you know, on the, on the side of the, the UCI, which is the governing body of, the, of professional cycling, they, it's, uh, it's honestly a, a bit of a shame how it's going right now in, in terms of women's cycling. I mean, they have now a minimum, but it's still not enough to, you know, live on. And, and, and these girls, they're putting in, yeah, the same effort, you know, they're, they're sacrificing just as much as the men, but the, the pay isn't to, uh, to scale, so... Um, yeah, I think there's, there's still a lot of uh, improvements to make in regards to the equality and everything. But, um, yeah, I think, I think like what we've seen with Iron Horse, you know, smaller events are making, making the effort to have, uh, you know, equal, equal courses, equal prize money. And I think that's where it, where it needs to start because, um, yeah, we, we don't see it right now from the, from the major uh, organizers. So it's... You know, it starts with uh, races like the Iron Horse. Mary, I would also add that um, last week's show was with Tiffany Cromwell, who's one of the best female world tour cyclists. And she actually had some pretty encouraging things to say. There were, there's a lot more world tour women's teams now than I expected. There's about 10 of them. And uh, they have a minimum wage, which is good. Without a doubt, a lot of, a lot of progress still needs to be made, but... I mean, just thinking back to where it was at five years ago, some progress is being made. And also, shout out to the Iron Horse for, for equal pay uh, moving forward. Thank you all very much for that. Gary's, Gary's got a question here. Another question? Yeah. Um, Seth, do you have a, a, a rider from American history road racing that's kind of a, a role model to you? Um, in road racing, I don't know. I think uh, a, a lot of people say I, my style is like Andy Hampton, like the, his, the way he rides out of the saddle. <laughs> so I guess, uh, I guess that would be someone I would look up to on the road racing side. But um, yeah, honestly, growing up it, in Durango, I never had any road bike. It was all mountain bikers like Todd, Ned, you know, Travis. Uh, you know, so I, 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 I came in to learn the, the road bike scene a bit later, so different, uh, different role models. So, Sep, what are your goals for next year? My goals for next year, I think, um, you know, I, I haven't heard my official schedule yet, but, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to ride the Tour de France. That would be pretty incredible so we'll see about that um yeah the olympics in tokyo they're also it's a really hard climbers course so it's kind of hard point in the year to uh fit it in the schedule if, if you even make the the olympic team but that would also be um pretty incredible opportunity but um yeah nothing nothing too uh lofty just going with the flow <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Sam Vick. This could be dangerous. <laughs> uh -oh. So you might have heard that single-speed cyclocross world championships are going to be in Durango yep. in <laughs> 2020. Um, so I was curious if we might see world tour fitness oh, in single-speed racing next year and what your preparation might look like well, for that race. I'm going to have a long, long season of, of uh, road biking to you know just get the, the base fitness necessary for the... Uh, <laughs> hour-long 
maybe hour and a half. It depends on how things go. Uh, <laughs> single speed cross race, but um, yeah, I'll be I'll be picking the brain of my uh, teammates that have raced on the track. See what kind of gear ratio is going to be uh, most efficient for the big day. Um, but yeah, I'm already looking forward. Got my calendar marked. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Sepp's schedule next year, I don't think his schedule will allow for Iron Horse attendance in 2020 or 2021, but in 2021, the Iron Horse will be celebrating its 50th year of, ex of existence, and there's going to be a whole bunch of special events included as part of that. One of them is going to be a road race from Uray to Silverton. And I'm curious, Sepp, if you were here, if your schedule allowed, which would you choose? And then follow-up question, I asked Sabina to ask a question of you. She doesn't like the mic, but I would love to hear what she's gonna do also in 2021. <laughs> I think it's a hard decision just because the, the history of the, the other, the original, Iron, well, I guess not original original, but the Durango to Silverton has uh, a bit more, dis I wonder what the Uray do, what do you think that is, 20, 20 miles? Yeah, probably like yeah. hour 20, yeah. hour 15, hour 20. Yeah. I think I'd have to go with the Uray, just because I think Red Mountain Pass is, is one of the most beautiful passes you can ride in Colorado. It's, it's hard. It's a hard start. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at least you get it out of the way right from the beginning. Um, but with that said, I, I think the, the technical nature of... of uh, descending Molas from the original route into Silverton kind of added, uh, you know, another uh, variable in the in the in the race. So the the descent from Red Mountain isn't quite as tricky. So Sabina, you don't have to take the mic, but what are you thinking you'll do in 2021, Uray or or Durango? Oh. He's going to be Alto de uh, Let Letras, whatever that no is. No way. <laughs> wow. Okay. She'll be at a different bike race. So it goes. Tour of Columbia. <laughs> All right. I think we'll call it there. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you, Sepp. Whether you, you like it or not, you're the next Ned and Todd, and there are many youngsters here dreaming of being oh. you one day. Um, <laughs> Thank you all for coming, and uh, keep up with this guy virtually, because you can't physically. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for coming. Thanks, buddy. Good question. Thank you all for listening, and thank you, SRAM, for being presenting partner of this episode. At the beginning of the show, I talked some about SRAM's nonprofit, World Bicycle Relief. And I wanted to give a few more details on that. Um, imagine that you live in a rural part of the world. You don't own a car. Let's say you're a 12-year-old kid. You're trying to make your future brighter. You want to get to school. But it's a 15-mile trek to school. That's a long walk one way. Imagine trying to do that twice a day. That's a long walk. But imagine if you had a bike. If you had a bike, you could do that in an hour or maybe a little more. For $147, that's all it takes to give a bike with World Bicycle Relief. For $147, you can give a bike and literally change someone's life forever. 
That is powerful to me. In fact, honestly, I have goosebumps right now. Um, that's incredible. SRAM, thank you so much for putting that program together. It's something I'm really passionate about. Uh, I've made some of my own efforts over the years to, to raise funds for World Bicycle Relief. And I hope that that figure, $147 to change a life, means something to y'all too. And it doesn't have to be $147. You can donate whatever you want. Get involved however you want. Just go to worldbicyclerelief.org and at least educate yourself a little bit about um, all the good that this organization is doing. Lily Ruth, younger sister, thank you for editing and producing this show as always. Man, she's reliable. I'll tell you that. Sometimes I get her these files pretty late and she does not bat an eye. Thank you for being the glue that's keeping this all together and putting in probably 80% of the total workload required for this thing. Thank you, Lily. If y'all would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash theadventurestash. And if you donate $10 or more a month, we'll send you one of our OG logo t-shirts. It's the only way to get one. Also, we'll send you a handwritten card. Also the only way to get one. Thank y'all for listening.